for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 41. What's up, Neil? What's going on, buddy? Doing pretty well, man. I tell you what, though, it's uh, I'm not ready for it to start getting dark at 5.30 again. That sucks. It's weird. <laughs> I'm really, ready for bed by 8. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird, man. I don't like it. So we got another great episode coming up. We've got a hot band, man. This is, this is one of my favorites I've listened to for a while. I've been jamming to this band all day long, and it takes me back to... Well, we'll talk about it more when we get these guys going. But we got Stacy, Josh, and Pat Galanis with us. How you guys doing? Pretty good. How about y'all? Doing real well, man. Glad you uh glad you could join us. Yes, sir. Well, we appreciate you having us. And you guys are brothers, right? Yep, that's correct. So who's uh who am I talking to now so we can kinda get the uh, Yeah, so this is Pat. I'm the oldest. Okay. Ah, that's why he's taking rain, taking yeah. over. Yeah, oh, he's got to take over for sure, for sure. And you forgot yeah, to mention the band name, Southern Governor. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I did that, but all right. Yeah, we no. don't want to do that. Muy importante, man. So we're going to be drinking tonight, Neil. Uh-oh. This is a bullet bourbon. I think this is new. It's called Blender Select. I didn't get a chance to look this up, but I think this is like a new bullet blend. And guys, we always have Kentucky bourbon. We're, uh, I don't even know if you guys realize this, but we're in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, okay. We played in Louisville before. Oh, cool. Okay, where'd Where you play? At? Uh, what was that place called? It was a pool hall. Oh, uh, um, Diamonds? Sounds familiar. It might have been. Might have been Diamonds. I, I can't remember. Cool. You did a good job saying Louisville, too. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> yep. So why don't you guys start off? This ought to be interesting having the uh, three brothers on, but let's go back and tell us a little bit about how music got started for you guys. Where, I mean, even back in childhood, what your first memories of music are and and when did it become something that you realized was going to be a big part of your life? Yeah, so uh, going back, I mean, probably our first memories were probably getting like cassettes at Christmas time or something. Um Cassettes and yeah, cassettes. I mean, about. we're pretty. That was like at the tail end of cassettes, right when CDs came out, right so on. they were cheap. But, but yeah, we used to get a cassette and stuff like that for Christmas. But uh, music wasn't really a big important 
thing to us, I guess, until later when we started playing guitar. Our parents bought us each a guitar for Christmas one year, and uh, we started taking some lessons. And from there, it kind of progressed into its own thing. But uh, I always say it found us. We didn't find it kind of thing, you know. Hmm. So you all, all got guitars the first or the same year for Christmas? Yeah, yeah. We, we all got uh, – they were just cheapo uh, TV guitars. They were called uh, Ibanez – or not Ibanez. What were they? Esteban. Esteban. Esteban guitars. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. My, yeah, man, my dad. They don't sound too bad. I, they but. really don't. My dad's got the little uh, nylon string classical guitar cutaway. It's, it actually sounds really good. Yeah, they're, they're good sounding guitars. These were the Dreadnought. Uh, I don't know if they were Sunburst or if they were, I think they were plain top with a dark back or something. But I don't know, probably about after six months of just kind of learning on them. The bridge on mine was starting to peel up, and I think Josh's neck was starting to tear off of his. So Stacy's was the only one that actually hung in there. But how old were you guys in this Christmas? Uh, I believe I was thirteen, and then how old were you, Josh? Well, I was probably what we're all pretty close in age. Two years younger than that, I guess. Yeah, so you were what eleven? Yes. And then Stacy, shoot, Stacy, I, I was nine. Yeah, Stacy was nine. So it's been a, it's been a while ago. I think it was a Christmas of two thousand five, two thousand six ish, something like that. Okay. So who who took to the guitar the quickest? I'm not sure. I mean, me and Josh definitely. Stacy had a hard time playing his because he was a lot younger. So uh, his fingers, them them freaking Estemans are like old fifties style guitars with a baseball for a neck so <laughs> when we uh finally got to upgrade our guitar to something a little bit better then we kind of grabbed a hold of it a little bit easier and was a little easier to learn did your folks play instruments uh some they don't play a lot our dad used to play banjo a good bit around the house nothing like professionally or anything and our mom used to play piano growing up like when we were growing up, occasionally she'd play piano here and there or whatever. But I mean, aside from that, our family's not super musical, I guess. I mean, our uncle plays guitar on occasion and our grandpa used to play guitar on occasion, mainly at like family get togethers or something. But aside from that, nobody's ever been into like any gigging bands or anything like that. That's interesting, man. That's interesting to me because I pictured you guys like uh, the parents in the car, y'all singing harmonies on the way to the grocery store and shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just had a different vision in my head of what your old story was going to be. Because generally, yeah. you know, when I think of uh, brothers in a, in a band, you always just think that they just grew up with that infused in their life and it was a gigantic For influence. everybody to take music, yeah. Yeah, for all, yeah especially yeah. for all three to just grab, become... Uh, which I'm sure we'll get into, the musicians that you are now. Do you have other brothers or sisters? They, no, it's just us three. Oh, I was okay. going to say, man, what, it'd be, it sucked to not make the cut. <laughs> Sorry, you're out of the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, those cassettes that you guys had, what's the cassettes that stand out as the ones you guys just wore out when you're playing around the house and in the yard stuff? Uh, I knew 
I, I know I got a Neil McCoy cassette. There you go. I remember the the cover of that. He's a white shirt, jeans with his hands on his hips. I guarantee Yeah, it was uh, back. I can't remember what that song's called, but that real big song that he had out there that kind of really, really broke him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was whatever that cassette was. But then I think, Stacy, you got a. I think I got a Skinner. I think Stacy got a Skinner cassette, and then Josh got a Alabama cassette or something. I remember those were kind of like the three big things we got but uh i knew there had to be some skinnered in there something yeah. yeah well our dad used to uh drive a truck and so he'd play skinnered all the time so i mean we've been around it for been around music all our life i mean i remember driving around in a car that he used to have like a southern rock greatest hits cd or something and it had that smell from leonard skinner oh, yeah. on it yeah uh, that's probably aside from getting that cassette would probably be my first musical like what I can remember. So you got three brothers and you figure at some point you're all playing the same instrument. When did it kick in to go, all right, uh, who's going to do what? We got to gravitate to other things here. <laughs> how, how did that battle go? Did, whoever became the better guitar player got to play the guitar? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I would say probably Josh or Stacy's a little bit better guitar player than I am. When we first started, all three of us played guitar. And we had like a bass player and a lead singer and uh, a drummer and all that. And we were playing a lot of cover songs. We play like four hours worth of cover tunes mm-hmm. and go around and play all these, you know, long bars nights. Those long, yeah, nights. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Hey, bars, pig roosts, all kinds <laughs> of other private parties. Yeah, it was. I mean, a lot of those were good times, but then there was a lot of sketchy. Sketchy concerts, but I would uh, say that Moose Lodges were probably the worst ones out of yeah, all. Because <laughs> you always had that one person that said, Oh, well, it's too loud, or Oh, y'all can't set up on the dance floor. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Hire a rock band, then you can't play rock because it's too loud. Yeah. <laughs> Can y'all uh, play acoustic? I, well, we only brought electric <laughs> instruments. We can't but... talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, <laughs> exactly. But from there, it, I don't know. We always we always played original material. Like when we first started playing together, before we actually started a band, we just all three sit around and jam, and we would come up with our own kind of arrangements and stuff. They weren't really completed songs or anything, but we had a little bit. We'd play what we knew of certain Skinner songs, or we'd write like a chord progression and play that. And that was cool. But then uh, once we kind of formed a band and, you know, got to playing around, we were always playing Southern rock songs and classic rock songs. And in this area, which maybe it's different now, but when we were first coming up, there wasn't a lot of people our age that were really into that stuff. And if they were into something, it was mainly like Iron Maiden or like a lot of 80s metal or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that, but that just wasn't our style. So uh, we were primarily the people that we had in our band were older people. And the problem with that was, as you know, obviously they have mortgages and kids and full-time jobs and all of the stuff that goes along with that. Wives that doesn't want them playing on certain weekends or whatever. So there's a lot of complications you have, and rightfully so. I mean, they, you know, they were just there to have a good time and play, you know, good shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. How old were you guys when you were doing this? 
Uh, it wasn't too far after. Uh, I think we started officially in 2009, somewhere around there. I don't know. We played covers for probably up until about 2011. 2011 was when we really, 2011 and 12-ish is when we kind of started doing all originals. And that's when things kind of started changing for us because we just got tired of playing cover tunes. I mean, it's good to cut your teeth playing cover tunes and it shows you how to play, especially when you're playing with other people and stuff. But Mm -hmm. it just kind of constantly got to where we were wanting to do more and more, more and more shows and write more songs and practice more nights of the week. And it's hard to really find people that are willing to commit that much time to it for like a actual profession. So from there, it just kind of snowballed. And then uh, Josh had always kind of fooled around with uh, playing drums on occasion. Like one show, he had to play drums on, I think we played like one or two songs with him on drums because the drummer we had, he had a uh, massive cramp in his leg or something. He couldn't play for a while. So Josh had to get up and do it because we used to sound check our drums every show and he'd get back there and do it. So he just kind of naturally started playing drums. What song was that? I think it was Voodoo Child, maybe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's Josh really is well. killing it in that Memphis train video. <laughs> yeah. He's really come a long way. <laughs> so for somebody that's not a drummer. Yeah, consider it. <laughs> I guess oh, you yeah. are a drummer now. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. I guess I guess if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> so how many instruments do you play, Josh? Guitar and drums, anything else? I messed around with the banjo a little bit. Back when we started playing bluegrass, we got a uh, what all instruments did we have there? So you guys played bluegrass for a while? Uh, not professionally. It was just our dad would play banjo. Yeah. Sometimes every every few nights or something, and mainly on like holiday get-togethers and stuff. Our dad and our uncle and us would all sit around and play some banjo tunes that he knew, like okay. old bluegrass stuff. All right, on. Yeah, we had mandolin. Yeah, I tried to teach myself how to play mandolin, but I never did stick with it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, all bluegrass instruments are awesome anyway. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, but learning how to adjust to the string setup is always wild. So what was the name of this first band that we've been talking about? Uh, so when we first started out, we were calling ourselves Blackjack, which is just this... Going back, I'm glad we changed the name now, but back then we thought it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) We had to change the name because apparently, we didn't know this at the time, but there's a band from our area called Blackjack that's apparently a cruise ship band. Like they must play on cruise ships because they don't, I've never seen them play around here. And I don't know where officially they're from in Virginia. So you're in Virginia. Yeah, Northern Virginia. Did they dress like pirates? I have no clue. I haven't, I've never (laughs) seen them. They sent us an email one day. This was like in 2010, I think. We'd only been playing out in the, you know, local music scene for maybe a year. But I mean, we were starting to get a name for ourselves because we were doing a lot of Skinner tunes. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of bands that was doing a lot of that. <laughs> so, so your fans showed up and saw a cruise ship man and like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they uh, they sent us an, an email saying that if we didn't change our, our name, they were going to have to seek legal oh, action boy. against us or whatever. So we we sat around and like him hauled over names and 
I don't even remember how many different names we had. It took like a week or so because we actually had a local newspaper was supposed to come out and do a write-up for us. And they said they were coming out at such and such day. And this was like, I guess a week before that happened is when we got that email. So then we're like, well, we got this interview and they're going to put her name in the paper and we don't have a, an official band name. So we got to figure out something pretty quick. If we would have used the old band name, that would have sucked being a write up and then you change it or whatever. But uh, so that's kind of how the name came about. The Southern governor where how did that develop? I don't know exactly to tell you the truth. I know our dad came up with it. I don't know. Honestly, I think we was just sitting around a campfire and just brainstorming on band names. Yeah. Man, Neil, we got to hang out with these guys. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> campfires, think, uh, banjos. All right, well, here's here's what I'm thinking, man. Heavy rock. Here, here's my thought. All right, while well, I was hearing the Blackjack story, I was thinking, what if, what if the Blackjack band people that were the ones that sent the uh, cease and desist only heard about the blackjack name because somebody like a, a group of hardcore what is now southern governor fans but was blackjack fans bought cruise tickets and went on that cruise <laughs> expecting yeah. blackjack the awesome band that they know to be there uh and then the guy was like we're not that blackjack and then he ended <laughs> up being the guy that started rock cruises <laughs> yeah, you, you guys were essential to the rock cruise industry without even knowing it. That's my yeah, that's my theory. <laughs> yeah, so, them rock cruises are pretty cool. Yeah, you know it'd be kind of neat to do one, but I don't. I wouldn't want to do one right now. <laughs> no, yeah. that's true. So, man, I want to go ahead and get a song in here pretty quick. So, you know, you guys sent us some songs. What do you think would be a good one to introduce our listeners to to Southern Governor with? Y'all got an American Pride, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be probably a pretty good one. All a lot right. of people like that one. Let's listen to American Pride. next rocky america i mean i don't know that's just so bad man i was listening to this today and i was trying i was thinking gosh this just like it, it like takes me back and makes me you know you talked about a fire like i just picture 
people in a field with like a 10-foot bonfire and whiskey bottles in their hands and just having a hell of a time. And I hope yeah. it, it, I hope you guys take this as a compliment because I mean this is the ultimate compliment. But I was thinking, man, this is like if you put Molly Hatchet and Alice in Chains in a blender and just <laughs> hit the button. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What stood out with me when, when I listened to you guys and – and I even think I before I knew you guys were brothers and, and I'd listen to you, I just thought, man, they are that is such a big sound. It is such a big sound. Then I found out it's number one, it's a three piece. And number two, it's you you guys are brothers. But to to create that type of sound with three pieces and it's just it's mind numbing on on a certain level because it is just a, a wall of sound that comes at you, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that being siblings is a big part of that, connecting those those dots and all that stuff. But I mean, my God, to get that I don't I don't even know what the question is other than I just it's it blows my mind how big of a sound you guys create with just a three piece. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. It's. Uh on those original recordings like American Pride and stuff, at the time when we recorded that, Stacy was still playing guitar. So it was technically a four piece mm-hmm. at the time, but on the new song Memphis Train, that's completely a three piece. Well, and and that's the song I listened to, so it mm-hmm. it, it, okay. it it really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course in the studio, we always track multiple guitar tracks but i try not to get too out on a limb there mm-hmm. to where if we can't play it live like pretty much on the last record we can pull off all of that live as a three-piece except for fred the song there's a song we did called fred it's almost got two guitar parts in it that if you don't play the one it don't really sound the same yeah. you know one makes the um, other make sense yeah kind of one of them things not the I mean, the song probably would sound fine with just one guitar part, but we just don't play it that, yeah. that much. I don't know if we've ever played it live, to tell you the truth. Where do you guys record? We have our own recording set up here at the house where we practice, and that's where Memphis Train was recorded at. We did that completely ourselves, and then we sent it out to get it mixed and mastered. American Pride and that whole that whole record we did, we actually went to Kentucky and recorded it in Glasgow, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. The uh, It's My Time record. Yeah, this is my time record. You want to tell them about it, Josh? Yeah, we uh, went down there and recorded with uh, Chris Robertson of Blackstone Cherry. He uh, oh, wow. produced it. We were down there for, uh, I think, seven days. We tracked nine songs, and we wrote one down there while we were there. Yeah, we actually went down with, like, I think we had, like, maybe 13 songs, like rough demos and stuff. Some of them were real rough demos we had tracked here at the house. And then others were just like us sitting the iPhone down and recording us playing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't super polished. Once we got in the studio with Chris, he really kind of defined our sound, I'd say, because what we went in there with and came out with is two completely different things. It just amplified what we were trying to do. Like the sound mm-hmm. we had in our head, mm-hmm. I feel like we accomplished that and it wasn't our doing. It was more on Chris's part because he really knew how to get what we were wanting to sound like. You know what I mean? With the loud guitars and like the wall of them. Yeah. Okay. That and about songwriting in general too. I mean, he, uh, 
obviously Blacks and Cherry's been around for a good while now. And when we did this, it was back in 2000, late 2012, like right around this time of year. And uh, they had just got done touring off of their third record, I believe, the one with uh, White Trash Millionaire and all that on it. So that was right before they really blew up. Those songs off that record really, obviously the ones before that kind of put them on the map, but that one really solidified their their band. <laughs> At that time, they had recorded with three good producers, so he had a lot of helpful insight on things to do. Like when we went down, a lot of our songs were like, shoot six minutes long or something oh wow <laughs> we had yeah. one of those <laughs> yeah they were like typical like old school skinnered songs where you know it was six minutes and three verses and two guitar solos and so he just kind of helped strip them down and just whatever didn't need to be in it we didn't put in it mm-hmm. and so we just went with the kind of the way we write now is with just you know two verses and a bridge and a, you know, three choruses. And I mean, we change it up every now and then, but it just kind of helped us get a little bit more radio friendly mm-hmm. and more modern sounding. Is there one of you guys that's the main songwriter or is it a group effort or what does that look like? It's a group effort. Generally we'll come up with a guitar riff. I'd say most of the time I'll usually, I'm all the time playing guitar usually of night or something. And I'll, just start recording on my iPhone, like a guitar idea or something. And maybe a lot of times here lately, if I come up with a guitar idea, I'll automatically kind of try to figure out some lyrics, like some melody and stuff to go with it. I just have those stockpiled on my phone. And then when we practice of nights, we'll jam on those ideas. And from there it kind of becomes its, its own song. So how many times have you, uh, have you done that? And then forgot about it and went back like three months later and listened to your phone went, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad I laid that down. <laughs> yeah, we do that all the time, really. I mean, we're trying not to be that way, but I find it as a good little surprise, man. Is you like, oh I surprised myself with that when I forgot about it. Did I write that? <laughs> yeah. Well, usually we'll we practice about two hours a night, three or four times a week. So usually if we're writing, we'll try to write a song a week or something like that or however long it takes. But we'll get a song to where it's pretty well completed and then we'll do like a rough demo of it in the computer, like semi-professionally recorded. And so every once in a while, one will fall through the crack or it'll be on the computer and we'll start moving on to other songs and kind of forget about it. But I haven't had that happen too much. Well, I mean, that seems like some pretty laser focus, really. I mean, if you're going to be able to, especially being brothers and spend that much time nailing down songs, I'm sure once you all get on the same line of thought and get going with the song, the last thing you really want to do is let it go. I'm sure that those practices produce a ton of good stuff. Yeah, we've just been stockpiling songs for the last few years, to tell you the truth. I mean, we've been playing shows and focusing on that but if we're not playing shows generally we're either writing songs or we're trying to demo songs out so we have a pretty good stockpile of songs and you just gotta keep writing the more songs you write the better they get and it's kind of one of them things you said the last album was recorded in 2012 i think it was released in 2013 and then you've stockpiled uh the but you just released memphis train which is uh, 2020 release. So do you guys have 
a project coming up that's going to be a like EP full length album or something that you've been focusing on during all this? Well, what it was the shutdown and is currently, I don't know. We're definitely looking at something like that. Um, hopefully, maybe next year. When we tracked Memphis Train, we also tracked the second song. I believe all the guitars and bass are done to it. It's just mainly finishing the vocals up and maybe changing a guitar part here and there, or like a you know redoing a solo or something. But the song's pretty well tracked, so we're probably going to release that. I don't know if it'll get out before the end of the year, but hopefully in the next coming months we'll have something else out as a follow up, and then we definitely want to do like a full blown record. But the problem is, is stuff right now is so expensive, especially just even if you recorded a record yourself, it's really expensive to get this stuff mixed and mastered and making it, make it sound good, you know? Oh yeah. And then there's tons of other stuff that comes along with that. I don't think people really realize all that, but we definitely are looking at doing, if anything else, an EP, but hopefully a, you know, a full record. Cause we have the material for it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, that's uh was always the process that I never thought about when it came to making a record, it was the actual hours after you stop hitting the record button and uh, really nailing down what the song sounds like and getting the tone that you want and all those little bitty things that uh, really can drive you nuts. Yeah. And change the song. Yeah. Well, and I think... Uh, and that can go on forever. Yeah. If you don't stop yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and I think... For years and years, we would write songs, stockpile them, and then just kind of either they would evolve from playing them at shows and stuff, or we would always be rewriting them and trying to make them as good as possible. But at the same time, I think there's a point to where you might be further off just calling them done and just keep writing new songs. Because every time we would spend a lot of time reworking songs, Sometimes they would turn out good. Like Memphis Trains is a good example of that because that song we actually had when we went to Kentucky in 2012. And we reworked it probably about two or three years ago to what it sounds like now. And so, I mean, in that regard, it does work. But also, I think we've written a lot better songs, too. Uh, Probably that sound a little bit better than Memphis Train. But we wanted to try to get some of these older songs out while we're still writing new songs. Mm Mm-hmm. And listeners, we'll close the podcast with Memphis Train. We'll play that whole song at the end of the podcast. So, Oh, yeah. That's the new stuff. You got to play that out fully. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to that, the song Putting In Time today. Yes, I was was listening to that at work, and I thought, man, is this song on it? (laughs) That's a good one, man. That's a good one. They're all good. I, I love the whole thing, honestly. Oh, yeah. Well, we appreciate it. What can you tell us about putting in time? Is that the same, same recording session? Yeah, so that was uh, off of the It's My Time record. It's a pretty early song. I don't think it changed a whole lot when we were actually recorded it, neither. Maybe the solo a little bit different and some of the lyrics. But that song's got a cool story because the title, Putting in Time, Waiting on Friday, is something her dad used to say all the time. Still does. And he still does. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we yeah, all? Like, yeah. <laughs> like I said, he used to be a truck driver for many years. I mean, we grew up in the back of a freaking Kenworth <laughs> cruising. He had its, uh, what was it, stenciled or 
stickered on the back of his truck, putting in time waiting on Friday. And we just thought it was pretty cool. So we finally wrote a song. I think he actually helped write a couple of the lyrics in it too. Oh. But yeah, it's a cool song. It's like a good working man song or something. Yeah, it let's, is. Let's listen to a little bit of it. Trust me, it helped my day today. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Pops loves that song. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in high school in the early 80s. About the you time know. you were getting the last end of them tapes, guys. So I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I listened to like the 70s Southern rock. And then lo- later, started getting into Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains. And I don't know. I mean, am I wrong? Does this not sound like a mesh of that? Yeah, it really does. I, it's, it's a... Uh, it's its own lane, really. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's just yeah, grittier, harder, just forward driving version of. I consider I just rock southern. I don't know. It's but heavy southern. That's just man. My every song. I'm bobbing. <laughs> I'm bobbing my head and going a little bit faster than I was. But I'm like, I need yeah. to calm down, man. I'm walking this route too fast today. I'm gonna get done way too early. I gotta get on my pace. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Uh, definitely heavy i mean when we were tracking it i think chris had even said something about it sounded like southern rock punk rock or something mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and that was before the lyrics the lyrics kind of make it more southern because i can't i don't sound punk rock when i sing you yeah. can definitely tell my accent but at the time when there wasn't no lyrics on top of the tracks it did sound like definitely a little grunge influence because i mean Chris was such a cool dude because, I mean, obviously Black Sun Cherry is a great band and some big heroes of ours. But uh, Chris's background's very similar to ours. I mean, he grew up listening to Skinner. His favorite bands, Leonard Skinner and you know Jimi Hendrix and Nirvana, and we share a lot of the same influences. So we all got along real good together. So what have you guys been doing during this? Uh Corona shutdown. How you guys been keeping active and promoting and supporting your music? And well, we've been pretty busy with uh, all of the extra stuff you got to do when you release a song. Like this is a the first time we've actually done a lot of what we're doing right now is like doing interviews, and mm-hmm. we hired Paige as our publicist, and she's really she's sending out to over hundred plus stations 
and a lot of them's picked the song up and starting to play it. That's oh, awesome. cool. Congratulations. Yeah, we appreciate that. Huge. So we've been doing that and then diving into the Facebook marketing and YouTube marketing and all that good stuff. And that's taken a lot of time trying to learn how to do all that. No doubt. Uh, so that's consumed a lot. You got to know how to manipulate that those things. You get those things. Yeah, get everybody that w- wants to listen to your yeah. style. To li- I mean, it's it's a it, that's another job, isn't it, guys? Oh yeah, hundred percent. We didn't even know anything about it. Like we thought that I don't know, maybe we just sucked or something because <laughs> you have so many people on Facebook. But the, if you actually look at your analytics, I think we got like maybe three thousand Facebook likes right now, and that's not a lot compared to a lot of other bands. But any post we make, it don't even reach a quarter of that. So it doesn't matter. You could have 100,000 Facebook likes, but if you're not reaching them, mm-hmm. then you're kind of wasting your time. And that's kind of learning how to promote posts. And you can go in and like target people that like your page or people that might like your page and stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of that in learning how to get your music in front of people that we just now ran across. So... I wish we would have known that back when we put out that first record, mm-hmm. but uh, which I don't know if the tools were actually there. I guess at the time, this is probably a little bit newer stuff, but because yeah. yeah, on Facebook we got twenty five thousand views so far on the video. Wow, nice. Yeah, and YouTube's sitting at like sixteen thousand right now. That's awesome. So I mean, we definitely are starting to get our name out there a lot more than we've had in the past, and it's thanks to those type of things and then also like say hiring Paige as her publicist she really got it in front of a lot of people too I think it's time for Paige to come on Paige, show need, Paige needs to come on just you hear to that, Paige? break it down <laughs> <laughs> let us know what we're doing wrong here so tell us a little bit about the video uh, Memphis Strain whose idea who shot it and what's it about we actually shot that on a uh, iPhone camera <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> okay. yeah yeah we had a uh it was like one of them phone mounts that like keeps the phone stable. Yeah, for more cinematic. I've got one of those and I can't figure it out. A, g- <laughs> a gimbal? Is that how you say it? Gimbal? Yeah, it's it's a gimbal. Yeah. This is just Who's a serious? piece of junk. Yeah, it's like a little piece of junk, smooth cue or something like that. I got like the, the same one. Now I got the okay. same one. Hey, yeah. will you send uh, Brad a video tutorial <laughs> of how to work that thing after this podcast is over, please? Hey, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that, though. If those people that know what they're doing with it, it's like, just like he yeah, said, it's like having it's, a $4,000 uh, camera. Right. It definitely helps. So you, uh, It shows up in some of the video. That's what you got to watch. Because we had a lot of shots that we took that looked really cool, but you could see the gimbal in the corner of the camera oh. if you move it too fast. So there was a lot of shots that didn't make the cut because of that. Oh, that sucks. Damn it, Stacy! The gimbal's <laughs> in the... <laughs> <laughs> so who was the camera operator? We actually had our road crew film that for us. Nice. And I feel like they did a pretty good job on it. Yeah, it turned who, out pretty good. Did you guys edit that video yourself? Yeah, I edited the video. I uh, well, that was another thing that took a long time to yes. figure out. Like, I'd never done anything like that. Like, I do Photoshop and like graphic design on the side. So, I mean, I was kind of accustomed to doing certain things, but the video side of stuff like that is completely different. Yeah, and so that was a a big learning curve because 
That song was recorded in March. We tracked the drums to that song the day that the NBA had canceled their whole season. And we all thought that this whole thing was just going to blow over in a month. And it was just crazy. Obviously, from there, we were dead wrong. But So the song had been pretty well done before summertime came, I think. Because right after we tracked drums, it didn't take but maybe a month to get the guitar tracks and bass tracks laid down and all the solos. And then uh, we did vocals last because I'm not a very good singer at times, especially in the studio, be a little bit of a pain. But yeah, the studio uh, sucks sometimes. It <laughs> took a while to get it mixed and mastered, though. That took a long time uh, just getting the right mix. We sent it out to a guy in Jellicoe, Tennessee, by the name of Matt McQueen. He's got a studio there called Jim City Studios, and he uh, mixed the song. And he did a fantastic job because when we – tracked a song all of those sounds that you hear on the finished product is is the song those are real drums real guitars like there wasn't nothing fake on it there was there might be a little bit of auto tune that he did because i did multiple guitar tracks and you got to tune them so they don't sound too out of tune he did a little bit of you know moving some things around but for the most part that's a pretty well raw track um i don't think there's but maybe a little he said he might have put a little snare sample in the track, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think at the end, it was more like a reverb kind of thing to kind of thicken it up. But yeah. for the most part, that's all real. But but yeah, it took a while to edit the video and make it look good like that. We shot it all in one day. No, I take that back. The main part where we're playing all on the same screen, we shot one morning. I don't remember what day it was. A month before the thing came out. So it was shot on August, August 8th or something. 8-8-2020. Yeah, 8-8-2020. We didn't plan that, but the song came out on 9-9-2020. And we shot the video on 8-8-2020. So it was exactly a month uh, to figure out how to do all the video editing things. Oh, man. Rendering video is a nightmare. Oh, yeah. It was, well... The morning that the video was supposed to come out, I had glitches to where the it was like a seven hour render. And so I went to bed the night before and we had already announced that the song was gonna come out like a specific day. And I had just we had to retrack one or reshoot one part in the video. And so I didn't have the video done until the night before, literally. And uh, it was like a seven hour render. And so I went to bed with it rendering and I woke up the next day and it didn't look anything like what I had done. Oh no. And so I had to like, yeah, like I had to go on YouTube and try to figure out why, cause I color graded it and it looked great on the computer. But once it was saved to an MP4 like video file, it didn't even look anything the same. Uh, and so I had to go back in, recolor grade it, and I found some tutorial on some tricks to do to kind of make it look good, like to keep it, I don't know, I think it's something with Premiere Pro. Apparently the other video software is not quite as bad, but Premiere Pro for sure. Um, <laughs> whatever you're seeing on your computer isn't totally accurate what it's going to look like after it's rendered. Brutal. But, uh, so I yeah, we did that. Sent it. 
to me when I was at work and I watched it on one of my breaks. I'm like, uh, we can't really post this. This don't even look like nothing we shot. <laughs> it was, oh, man. it kind of sucks. Cause what you do see now isn't a hundred percent what it looked like first. Cause I was like scrambling, recolor grading the morning, the songs out. Like the song was out like on iTunes and uh-huh. stuff and people could listen to it, but the video wasn't out. And, uh, so, I mean, I guess I could have got by with not posting the video the day of the song, but I'm like, man, if we're going to try to get as many views on the video as possible, it needs to be out soon. Cause I was planning on putting it out like early in the morning when the song came out, but obviously that didn't happen. But I think I color graded it twice, two or three times. Luckily, uh, the first one that took seven hours to do is cause I was adding like film grain to it. And apparently that makes the render twice as long oh, as it should man. be. So I, I lucked out by ditching that because that was the problem. I had film grain on it and it looked like somebody had just put a beach on the screen or something. <laughs> it just didn't look like what you were seeing on the computer. Uh, so I just ditched that all together. But the color grades about 90% of what it was when we first approved it. But uh, I think it still looks good. I, I could have done a few things different but i'm not worried about it i think it looks cool oh yeah yeah it was good oh yeah plus it's just badass to have a video to compliment your song man (laughs) yeah we were dreading shooting that video because we had planned it and then i think we had to cancel the original date we were talking about shooting on because like stacy said a road crew was helping us and they were only available like one day or one weekend so we planned it out, and then we got up at, I don't know, 7 in the morning or something to start setting up, and it was raining when we were doing this, like start trying to rain. So we were like kind of in limbo if it was going to rain or not going to rain. Honestly, to tell you the truth, I'm kind of glad that it did because it made the – it kind of fit the vibe of the song because it's yeah. a real moody, kind of swampy looking. Mm-hmm. I was really wanting to try to get some like sunrise shots, like sun coming up behind us. But had that happened, it probably wouldn't even looked anywhere close to what it looks like now. Yeah. Which it kind of made it hard to shoot the other, other shots where it's the individual shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause those we shot all, all ourselves. Our road crew didn't really shoot many of those. We shot, we had to wait and look at the radar and see what, the next day was that it was going to rain. So it looked kind of like the similar, you know, to the main day we shot. But, uh, so it was just them things at times it was like misting when we were shooting, but, uh, it turned out good. Thankfully yeah. it didn't rain. It just misted and kind of made the video look better. So the, the video has been a gigantic part of the release of Memphis train. It's probably, do you think it's, it has uh, garnered more views and, and listens than the audio itself? I would say so. I haven't officially looked. It's been a little while since I've seen how many like streams and stuff we've gotten. Uh-huh. But I would say by far the video is probably the most. But I think the video kind of really helps the song. Like The song sounds great, but I think the video really kind of helps the song, especially when you're trying to post it online and stuff like I think the video kind of grabs you. There's mm-hmm. two different videos. Like right now, I think on YouTube, it's just a shortened video at the moment. But we shot a shot where we drove in in the car and got out and started playing. And then we got back in the car and drove away. 
there the full video is on our Facebook still. It's got I think it got like fifteen thousand views or something, mm-hmm. something like that. But the problem was is when we were spending money trying to promote it and like send it to people, like we would on Facebook and stuff, you can show it to people that like certain bands pages. Like we had, we'd send it to people that like Skinner's page and like a lot of other Southern rock bands that kind of like we knew would really dig the song. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is if you think about it, if you've never really heard a band and there's a, little bit of a long intro before the song ever starts Mm. most people just keep scrolling unfortunately yeah there was definitely a few people that kind of thought it was cool and it kind of grabbed their attention but we ended up editing it for that purpose but eventually we'll we'll post the full version again but like i said the full version is up on our facebook but we was having the same issues on youtube as well yeah man people's attention spans are Sure. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook yeah. and all the all the socials, so people that want to follow Southern Governor, wh- where do they go? Yeah, you just can go to uh, facebook.com backslash Southern Governor. Instagram's the same, instagram.com backslash Southern Governor. We're on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, like all the major ones. And then, like I said, our music's available on all the major streaming services and iTunes and stuff like that. But yeah, we're definitely out there. Or if you just go to our website, southerngovernor.com, there's links to all that on there as well. So are you you guys doing any live gigging right now, or is it still everything kind of shut down down there? Most everything's kind of shut down. I did see uh, this past weekend, one of the bars in the area did have some music playing. So I'm hopeful maybe we can get a show or two. We definitely had shows booked in the summertime, like after the coronavirus hit, like obviously everything shut down, but when things were starting to open back up, we did have a few shows booked, but uh, I don't know. Virginia's still kind of, it's not like Florida or something. Florida, I think they're still having shows like nothing ever happened down there. Florida's got the pedal to the metal. (laughs) (laughs) Virginia's not that way. No, neither is Kentucky, man. We're, we're, we're on a pretty decent lockdown. I don't mind it at all, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we usually played, I don't know, every few months or something, or if we had something like something like this, we would definitely book a lot more shows to kind of back it. But, uh, we were kind of hesitant about putting the song out because of all this, but mm-hmm. then, you know, we spent all the time recording it and all the money invested and getting it mixed and mastered professionally and all that. And so we figured, you know, what the heck? Well, and I think that's where the video really helps. Uh, we had a band from Houston last week, Roots from the Clay, and, and they had a video backing one of their latest release. And, and that's we talked about how that's very important right now to have that type of, some type of visual mm-hmm. so people can yeah. at least get some vibe from you as, as all this is uh, going on. So, I mean, it's it's really an important thing to have something like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was a big thing. Because, I mean, I think ever since Instagram kind of came out and a lot of that, people don't really just read regular posts anymore. You almost either have to post a photo or a video of some sort. Yeah. And even then, it's kind of gotten to where it's just like what I said. We had such a creative process with the video 
with a cool intro, like us riding in. It was kind of more of a story base behind it, but people skip after six seconds. Like if you look at the data and stuff on all that, people, the skip rates are like six seconds or shorter. You got six seconds to really grab a hold of somebody or else they keep scrolling. And that's, that's ridiculous, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's a, a TikTok world we're living in, bro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which I will say YouTube, I think is a little easier. It's more expensive for stuff like that. But as far as views and stuff like on Facebook, people stop and watch, I don't know, maybe a quarter or half of the video or something. Mm-hmm. And then they'll keep scrolling. Yeah. But like on YouTube, people's there to watch videos. So I think you get a little bit better views, I would say longer views and stuff. But like I say, it's definitely more expensive as opposed to like Facebook and then Instagram's just its own. I mean, Facebook owns Instagram, but Instagram's its own beast. Like I'm not exactly sure what to do on Instagram. To tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a major issue trying to get our ads to keep from getting pulled, I guess, because of the election and all that crap. Oh, I guess really? because our name's governor. Oh, I okay. never, I never yeah. knew it would be an issue, but uh, every time I would do like a sponsored ad or something for the song, it would get rejected. Huh? And it would say, you know, rejected because of political, whatever you have to show proper ID or whatever to wow. get, to do like a political post. Apparently, yeah. If you're running an ad for political or social issues, you have to show proper ID, which I didn't do that because we're not doing any of that. It's just a freaking rock and roll band. That's but, crazy. Uh, Pat for governor of Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's been a little bit of a that's interesting. hit or miss process, but. Once you guys get out again, if you happen to hit Louisville again, make sure you shoot us a message. Yeah, we'll do that for sure. I, we definitely want to get back down that way soon. Um, there is a band in Louisville called Mojo Thunder. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but if you haven't, look them up because I swear you guys could do a show together uh, here and and there. I mean, they're they're amazing, and you guys would be an amazing bill together. Oh yeah, I've heard that name before, but I'm not sure if I've ever listened to them. Man, we're the- big friends with uh, y'all. Know Otis? Otis? I think they're from what Edmonton. I don't, I, you know what? I don't I, think I don't. so. I don't know. Oh yeah. I'm going to, oh, okay. but believe me when I say, we will be listening to them. <laughs> yeah. Check them out. They're, for sure. they're from the same town that the Kentucky Headhunters and okay. Flaxton Cherry's from. They're kind of like a blues rock and roll band, I guess. Kind of right. like a modern day Almond Brothers, oh, but cool. on steroids. Cool. Well, that's kind of what I thought you guys were, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, we appreciate, we appreciate you guys joining us tonight, and it's uh, it's been good talking to you, and we're going to go out on uh, Memphis Train. We've talked about it quite a bit, but anything else you want to say about that before we sign off? We appreciate everybody that's watched it and listened to it and all that and bought it and shared it on Facebook, all the positive reaction we've had to it. We appreciate you all spinning it. We hope you dig it, and there's more stuff coming soon. All awesome. right. Can't wait to hear it, guys. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>